All right, turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. We're going to start a new series this morning, Ecclesiastes, and it's on page 553 in the Pew Bible in front of you. So Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. 553 in the Pew Bible. Ecclesiastes 1, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11 this morning. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we recognize that all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. So even as we open up our scripture here this morning to Ecclesiastes, as we open up your word this morning, we recognize that there are things here that are profitable. And so would you take these truths in this text this morning, and might you use it in a way that we are changed because of it? Might you lead us to Jesus and see his greatness and worth. In Jesus' name, amen. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. This poem summarizes well, I think, the major themes in the book of Ecclesiastes. As we embark on a journey together this morning through this book, it is a, it is a daunting task because the first thing, the first line that you read in, in commentaries regarding this book is this. Ecclesiastes may be the most difficult book to interpret and preach. So here we are. Here we are. We're going to walk through Ecclesiastes together. We're going to hear from the king And his wisdom. We are going to be invited into the thoughts of one man's observations and reflections on life. 
We're going, going to be invited in to listen and ask questions about the meaning and significance of life under the sun. You see, this book, as part of the wisdom, wisdom literature and scripture, may be difficult to understand initially, but because of its unique perspective on life, in light of the temptations that we face in our culture and the world around us, it's, it's, it's an extremely relevant and practical book. It asks life's big questions that people still have today. And we'll see this even this morning as we work through this introduction. And so if we were to summarize the book, okay, so if we were to summarize the book and some of its major themes, here's what we observe. The vanity of life under the sun should lead us to enjoy God's gifts, fear God, and keep his commandments. Okay, so this is my overarching theme on what this book is all about. The vanity of life under the sun should lead us to enjoy God's gifts, fear God, and keep his commandments. I want to draw your attention to this because listen to how the book ends, okay? So flip all the way to Ecclesiastes 12. This is important to note at the beginning. Uh, Chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. Now verse 13. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The goal is that God be placed at the center of our lives. Realizing that life is but a fleeting breath and only one life will will soon be passed, realizing that we are a moment, right? We're, We're a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Our priorities then should be on enjoying God's gifts, fearing God, and keeping His commandments. Okay, so these are some of the major themes that that we're going to see as we work through this book, which we'll unpack further in further detail as we go. So let's begin by observing what the preacher has to say back in chapter 1. So first, all of life is vanity. All of life is vanity. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Imagine the preacher steps into the pulpit with the people gathered around to hear his wisdom. And then he declares, vanity Vanity. All is vanity. And then he, he, he drives home this, this point because he ends the body of his sermon, right? We, we read 12, 9 through 14. The body of his sermon, he ends in 12, 8 
with this same phrase. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. So everything he states is bracketed by the phrase, all is vanity. 1, 2, 12, 8. Initially, you might have feelings of despair. If everything is vanity, what's the purpose of life? What's the purpose of my life? Why should I keep going? What significance is there in what I do? It's no wonder that so many people assume this book is a pessimistic book, leading us to be somber and serious and critical about life. It's not a pessimistic book, by the way. The congregation is hearing these words from the preacher, the the teacher, the son of David, the the king in Jerusalem, which I take this as Solomon, okay? Some differ with that now, but I take this as Solomon. And And there's evidence for that, I believe, in the text. To hear these words from King Solomon, who had it all, and states, all is vanity, is a lesson worth listening to. Someone who's, who's had it all, he, he reflects on life. Imagine going outside and, and reflecting upon life under the sun. And we'll, we'll unpack that phrase in a moment. But he's reflecting upon life on this earth. And he says, it's all Vanity. This word vanity has a range of meanings. It literally means a vapor or futility. Some of your translations might say meaningless. The idea here is that life is transient. And this statement that all is vanity is not intended to bring despair to the people. It's not intended to bring us despair. Rather, it serves as a reminder that we live in a sinful and fallen world in which our search for meaning and significance and joy and satisfaction is futile. Life is a vapor. Life is frustrating and puzzling. And so many of you, so many of you know that. You've seen how puzzling and frustrating life is as we live in this fallen world. Paul will use, the Apostle Paul will use the same phrase in Romans 8.20, and he says this, the creation itself was subjected to futility, right? Same word, in hope of being set free from its bondage to corruption that came as a result of sin. So Solomon is warning us about the vanity of life under the sun so that we do not put our hopes and pursuits in in the things of this life but in God. So that we don't seek to find ultimate satisfaction and meaning from this, the things in this life, but in God. So that we might learn to fear him. We might learn to keep his commandments. We might learn to enjoy his gifts that he has given us. It's an acknowledgement that we are a mist. We appear for a little while, and then we're gone. Our life is but a fleeting 
breath. Do you realize that? Are you seeking to derive meaning and satisfaction from the things in this life? In what ways? Right, for those who are young, life doesn't seem so short. I've got my whole life ahead of me. I've got, I've got to speed things up. I've got things to accomplish, things I want to do. I'm going to find significance in those things. For those who are older, we look back with regret. We look back with regret because we reflect on how short life was and how much time we spent focusing on the things of this world or wishing that we had accomplished more. And so what do we do? We, we seek to accomplish things through our children or our, our grandchildren. Life is but a fleeting breath. Life is a vapor. Let's not forget that. Number two, second point. Solomon shows the vanity of human life when placed then against the backdrop of the stability of nature and human experiences. He asks a question in verse 3, which sets up another major theme in this book. He reflects on what we gain from our toil under the sun. And here's what he observes. This is my second point. We gain nothing from our toil under the sun. Okay, look with me now at verses 3 through 8. Here's the question. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So he asks this question, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Now this phrase, under the sun, we're going to see it throughout this book. It's repeated often, and so it means on this earth, living in this world, right? Literally, we, we picture Solomon stepping outside and reflecting upon life under the sun. As though you're at ground level observing the things around you. Solomon is not describing the kingdom of heaven or the things of God. Rather, he is looking at life from a horizontal perspective. Now, it's not a secular perspective, okay? It's not a secular perspective where God isn't taken into account. He's not describing the perspective of, of a person without God. It's not what he's doing. But for believers as well. For believers or unbelievers, the question remains the same. What is life like on this earth? And specifically here, what benefit or profit or return on my investment, believer or unbeliever, is there for my toil on this earth? So whether you're, you're a Christian, you're a believer in Christ, or you're an unbeliever, Solomon's question remains the same. What do we gain? What do we profit by all the toil at which we toil under the sun? 
question doesn't sound too differently than a, the wise teacher, Jesus. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. What does man gain or profit by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? That's the question. Answer? A poem. A poem. The transience of human life, the blink of an eye of human life against the backdrop of the cycles of, of nature reveals that there is no ultimate gain from our toil at which we toil under the sun. There is no profit. There is no gain. Why? Consider the stability of nature. Consider human experiences. That's what Solomon is saying. Verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Nothing changes. There is no gain. Same old, same old. A generation dies out, a new generation rises up, and we say, progress will be made. We will advance. A new generation is rising. They will make a difference, an impact in this world. And then it dies out. A new generation rises and it dies out. It's a never-ending cycle from one generation to the next, all while the earth just keeps going and going and going. And this is the point of the illustration of nature with, with the sun, with the wind, and with the sea. The cycle of nature continues. There is no change. They continue their course on this earth while we humans have a shelf life on this earth. We are mere mortals. We have an end. But the earth in all its repetitiveness just keeps going. It's stable. The sun rises, the sun sets. The wind blows round and round and round. The cycles continue from one generation to the, to the next like, like a treadmill that just keeps going. And when you consider the, the cycles of nature, what's gained by its repetitiveness? Consider the water. The streams run into the sea and it doesn't fill up. What's gained by its repetition? Nothing. And here we are as a vapor, as a mist. What then do we expect to profit or gain? We can learn a lot about life by observing nature. And if the basic elements of nature gain nothing from their toil, then certainly we, who are only on this earth for a short period of time, gain nothing from our labor. And that's the point of his illustration regarding our human experiences as well. Notice verse 8. All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. 
The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. In other words, there's always more to say, there's more to see, and there's more to hear. It, too, is an ongoing cycle. And what does it gain? What does it gain? Isn't this a call to humility? When we consider that we are a moment, we are a vapor, and that there is no ultimate gain in this life, it shouldn't lead us to despair, but to humility and dependence upon God who is outside of us. That we must look outside of ourselves and outside of this world for purpose and significance and value. It's a call to humility because it reveals that there is, there is to be gain. Not from the things under the sun, but from God who, who stooped down in Christ, the Son of God. He took on human flesh and he stepped into this world and humbled himself by, by becoming a servant. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that we might gain eternal life. We gain nothing from our toil under the sun, but we gain eternal life because of the work of Jesus Christ for us under the sun. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And earlier in Philippians 1, 20, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, those who put their hopes in this life and what they can gain and profit in this life will only lead to despair. Because human life is vanity. It is frustrating. It is futile. But for those who depend upon Christ, for those who humble themselves and acknowledge that we are but a mist, here today and gone tomorrow, we don't live in despair. We live victorious that we have gained Christ we gain in our death. We gain eternal life with Jesus Christ. Even though we live in this fallen world, even though we live as part of this life under the sun and recognize there's no gain from our toil in this life, for those of us who trust in Christ, those who belong to Christ, we must make sure that we do not seek value, our value or significance or worth from the things under the sun, but from being a child of God who sent his son to deliver us from this present evil age to bring us to his kingdom. If we look to find gain or profit, whatever gain or profit that might be, if we look to find gain or profit from the things on earth, we will be disappointed. Third and finally, there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon will continue to break down our idols and humble us with his words of wisdom. 
as he provides another reason why all is vanity and there is nothing to be gained under the sun. Look with me now at verses 9 through 11. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So another major theme that we're going to see in this book is there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. As we observe the cycles of nature, as we reflect upon our human experiences, we recognize that there is nothing new under the sun. Generation after generation after generation, experience, they, we all experience the same things. We all have the same condition. There's really nothing new. We have the same desires and longings. Who doesn't desire to be happy? Who doesn't desire to be loved? We long for pleasure. We long to be married. We want to have children. We want to see our children succeed. We hope our life has meaning and significance. We long to be a part of something great. We long to look back at life and say, yeah, we made a difference. We long for the things that other people have. We worry about our children. We get anxious. We get impatient. We get discouraged. We don't have all the answers about certain things. We all have dreams and aspirations and hopes. This is the condition of the human heart. This is the condition of all people under the sun, no matter who you are, where you are from, or what era you were born in. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It's already been in the ages before us. Someone might object. See, this is new. Right? Technology is new. Cars are new. Computers are new. We have new phones. New houses. New jobs. New movies come out. New games come out. New toys. New stories. But again, that's not his point. Rather, nothing really changes in this world. I imagine that the older you get, the more you see this clearly. How things just cycle around and around and around. Certainly we see this in the entertainment business, right? How movies and shows and stories, they all have a, and songs, they all have a similar plot or story that they're being, that's being communicated. And it usually has to do with a main character or main characters in trouble. And they go, go through some sort of test or trial or hardship because of a villain, there's usually some villain in the story. And then there's a rescue, right? They all have this general theme. Or we get excited for new things. Especially see this when, when ch with children, right? When they get a new game, it's new, and they, they, they play it over and over. Eventually it gets old, and they want something else that's new. Right? We see this with songs that we sing, right? We say, we, we've been singing the VBS songs a lot, all right? Early on, it was fresh. It was new. And then we hear it over and over and over and over. All right, I want something new. Can you give me a new song? Just cycle through. There's nothing really new under the sun. 
until, until a time in history 2,000 or so years ago. When the Son of God came to this earth and he died on the cross and, and rose again so that for those who trust in him, for those who belong to him, we are now called new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. And he is coming again to make all things new. So might our hope and our trust be in him. Solomon, he continues and shows us that we gain nothing from our toil because we won't be remembered. Verse 11, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. The statement is quite fascinating. When you really think about it, it's true. Solomon now is tearing out the pride in our hearts and our vain attempts for personal glory and gain. I heard this recently in light of this text. How many of us, here's the question I heard, how many of us remember family members that lived 100 years ago? 200 years ago? How many of us remember family from 200 years ago? Doris, 300 years ago. <laughs> what percentage of the population in the world have we really known? Think about that. How many billion people live right now? Six, seven billion, I don't know. How many of that percentage do we actually know right now? And then you back up through all of human history. Why is there no gain from our labor? A generation goes and a generation comes. We will be forgotten. We will be forgotten. If we are seeking to gain esteem or praise from men, there is no gain because we won't be remembered. And yet we seek so hard to do things for God. Right? I want to have significance in this world. I want to leave a legacy. And so we fall into this trap even in the name of Jesus. Lord, I want to do great things for you. I want to make a difference for you. Why, Sean? Do you hear what's at the center? I, I want to make a difference. I want to do something great. I want to, I want to. And so you plunge the depths of your heart, recognition, praise, praise so that our name might be remembered and not God's. You want to tear the pride out of your heart? You want Solomon to do that for you? Remember that you will be forgotten. 
remember that you will be forgotten. Now, does this mean that we develop a pessimistic lifestyle? If everything is vanity, if I, if I gain nothing, if, if I won't be remembered, then why bother? Why try to make a difference? No, this, this shouldn't lead to pes pessimism, but to a realization that we are freed up to work for the Lord and not for men. It frees us up to do what pleases the Lord. It frees us up to be the most joyful people. Because we aren't living for the things on this earth. We had a great time in Cedar Falls. I experienced so much joy and gratitude. Because life is this fast. We don't seek the praise of man anymore. So we enjoy life. We're freed up to enjoy. We're freed up to, to fear God and keep his commandments and to love him. Because we know that if we set our hopes, if we set our hopes and pursuits on the things under the sun, it will only lead to pain and disappointment. So we're freed up to be content with whatever the Lord has for us. Because life is this, this short Reflecting on life under the sun enables us as Christians who believe in the life to come with the resurrected Christ enables us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not what? It's not in vain. It's not in vain in Him. You see, reflecting on life under the sun and the vanity of life, the vapor of life under the sun should stir our hearts to long for the one who is outside of us, to the one who rules over our hearts, to the one who rules over the sun and over the moon, and for God to be first in our hearts. Might the Lord free you up. Might the Lord free you up from our vain attempts for glory. And might the Lord free you up to have him be first in your hearts. As we prepare to close, listen to these words from the song that we're going to sing here in a moment. And before I pray, I want us to reflect upon what I've just said. Okay, so moment silence after I read this. Listen to these words. Be thou my vision. I think this song is perfect for Ecclesiastes. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word, I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, and I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven sun.
heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. May that be our heart's desire and prayer. Let's take a moment, silently pray, and then I'll close in prayer. Father in heaven, we recognize our vain attempts for glory, for recognition, for seeking significance and value in, in the things of this life. We recognize how we want to be remembered. We confess these things to you this morning. And we ask that we would, you enable us to realize that life is a vapor. That we will be forgotten. And oh Lord, I pray for us that it would free us up. It would free us up to fear you, to keep your commandments, to enjoy your gifts that you have given us in Christ. That we would be the most joyful people because we are not putting our hope in this life but in the life to come with Christ. Might he be our vision, might he be our wisdom might he be our inheritance. We look forward to that day when we will gain Christ forever. It's in his name we pray. Amen.